Good morning, family. Good to see you all today. Want to invite you next week for a, we've got a special guest speaker that's going to be sharing at uh, both morning services at the South Church and will be sharing here and at the evening service. Friend of ours, Dan Backens, who is the leader of the One Focus Network. That's one of our key partnerships in the world that we, fo- that we join along with. That's Dan and Rhonda, his wife. Rhonda won't unfortunately be with him, which I think is going to make Dan be even more naughty than what he normally is. He's a fun guy and uh, leads a, the church in Virginia Beach in Virginia in the U.S., and also a church, multi-congregational church. They have seven congregations that forms a unit together, and he normally preaches four times on a Sunday in different locations, so we're going to give him a break, and he's only going to have to do it twice in the morning and once in the evening. So, But you don't want to miss him. He's going to share a good word with us, and particularly we'll also be having communion as part of the word, and he'll be sharing around that, so please be with us next Sunday for that service. Then, last week we did the wonderful thing, and I want to really honor and thank all our teams that worked so hard at it, the pastoral team that took lead, and all the other teams and the volunteers that supported them, as we introduced to you just the community groups that is a bit of a life change from what we used to call the life groups, we now call community groups, and um, that three, over 300 people last week signed up for community groups, and that's fantastic, so... Wonderful. For, thanks for everybody that responded. That's about 30 new life groups that we started in one week. It's not bad, eh? And, uh, but we want to say that you are always welcome to join life groups. Now we're focusing on it, but at any time, if you want to, please come and join our life groups. There's a couple of ways that you, our community groups, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. And perhaps the easiest way is you go onto hatfield.co.za, our website. You scroll down to the bottom, and there's a, a, a link that's a, a sign up that under community groups banner and then you can just fill in your information there and we will phone you that banner and that sign up will not give you the information about life groups it will just allow us to contact you if you are interested what you also can do today is after the service you're welcome to come you'll see the banners are still on the sides here and our volunteers will be there and if you want to get in more information talk to any of them or do the sign up then please make use of that also, and you can do that. Our community groups are fantastic places to build community, uh, which is right in line with our values and our vision, and uh, we have many different types of community groups. I'm sure we'll find one that suits your needs and uh, just your stage in life and how you want to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. So please join us in that. Yesterday, Natasha and I flew back from uh, East London we were on a ministry trip to Friday. We flew out to quickly go down to East London, and we spoke at a ministered at a, uh, a TCN conference there with some the the province of the Eastern Cape, and just ministered to some of the pastors and leaders. And, and then we flew back with SAA. And um, as we as I got into the you know the the place, I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to just connect with some of the people. And the guy who was doing our you know our, our you know booking in. I asked him because next week, Saturday, they'll finish. There's no more flights with them from East London. And uh, so I said to him, so how, does, how do you feel about this? And you know, how does this impact you that this is the last week that you're going to put people on a plane with SAA? And then he just said, well, you know, we can only hope that something will happen. And it uh, gives you that sense, again, of we can talk the news and the whole thing. But at the end of the day, there's people involved, yeah. You know, with our state-owned enterprises and the struggles that we have, there's hundreds and thousands of people who have faithfully served, who have done their job to the best of their ability, that have given their lives to companies and now are in very insecure places. 
to no fault of their own, because of other things that happened. And um, it just struck me again, and I wondered if we can today just pray for our state-owned enterprises and for just what's going on. So can I ask if you are employed in a state-owned enterprise or perhaps somebody that has contracts who's dependent on state-owned enterprises for your livelihood, well, if you wouldn't mind standing and we can just use you as a, as a touch point to pray into the circumstances. So can you, if you are, just stand with us, if you with SAA, ESCOM, Brasa, any one of our state-owned enterprises or people that contract with them. Won't you just with me pray and use these people as a prayer point into that, but also want to pray for them and others that are in this situation. Let, don't you stretch out a hand to them? Just lay a hand gently on them if you don't mind, if you're close to them. Lord, I want to thank you today for faithful people. People that take you into their workspaces, that use their work as, an, as a place to worship you, that give excellent service, that that give their hearts and work with integrity. And thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to each person. May each person in a situation like this that may feel some sense of insecurity, not quite knowing what's going on, may they experience your favor, your grace, and your goodness in Jesus' name. We also pray for these state-owned enterprises, these companies, Lord. We pray for wise leadership. We pray for servant leaders, Lord. That will come into those situations and make the tough decisions, but that which is the best for our nation and for our people. We pray for our government, Lord, to, to, to walk in integrity and righteousness and justice in these matters, Lord. Lord, it's already tough to see people without employment, and we pray that you will make a way, that you will find ways, Lord, for people to, to not lose their livelihood and their opportunity for work, Lord but that there would be solutions. But we know they're tough decisions that has to be made. And we trust you for your grace and for your favor on every one of our state-owned enterprises and every person that works in it that is faithful and righteous. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing and just allowing us to pray with you. I want to continue on in our message, and it relates to this prayer also. Uh, in our series of Love Revolution, and the title of today's message is No Worries. And I particularly chose this title in, the, in, in thinking of our Proteas cricket team playing the Australians at the moment, and just want to say, no worries, mate. I know it didn't go so well on Friday night, but no worries, they're going to do better tonight. Amen? But uh, the title of the message is to refer to something that Jesus spoke about quite a bit. And it's about this idea that as Christians, we don't have to be anxious that we don't have to have fear manifested as anxiety take root of our lives and have a directional quality in our lives. One of the things that is such a reality for us and is so practically evident in our lives is when we begin to know the love of God for us and respond to Him in love, how that affects the, the relationships we have with particularly material things and how material things relate to the, our anxieties. Because we are human beings, we are so subject, so easily rattled by material things that shift and move. When, when you know, something happens that affects our ability to, to generate an income, 
that affects our livelihood, that affects our, our, our financial standing, it has a huge impact on us. It, it, I mean, so many of us, your, your life can be completely just fall into depression purely because of financial difficulties. And Jesus was so aware of this when he ministered and spoke to people. And he tried his level best and, and shared his word with us to give us the foundation to understand how to live life so that we don't have to be in that place where material things have such a determinative role in our lives. And one of the key places that he spoke about this was in Matthew 6. And uh, from verse 19 on, I'm going to read with us together today and just share a couple of thoughts with you. Well-known portion of Scripture. So if you want to go with me, let's turn to Matthew 6. where Jesus says the following words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus speaks in the context of a people that really didn't do banking, so they had to keep the, their wealth in some form, whether it was in money or investing it in something. They had to look after it and keep it safe from places where it couldn't be stolen or, or decay. But he says to them these words that do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, if you read that verse in isolation or that sentiment or that sentence in isolation, you could think that Jesus has a problem with us acquiring things. That Jesus is saying, don't store up for yourself. Don't gather things. Don't acquire things. But that's not what Jesus is saying, because further on, he says the following, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So Jesus is not talking to us and saying, you, you, you're, if you want to not have a life of anxiety, if you want to have a life that is peaceful and that where you don't worry, then just don't acquire things. That's not what Jesus is saying. That, in fact, is the philosophy that comes from some Eastern religion. Where if, if you don't want to worry, they teach you just don't desire anything. Don't want anything, then you will not dis be disappointed if you don't get what you want. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't acquire, don't desire. He's just saying don't acquire the wrong things. And don't desire the wrong things. And he defines the right and wrong things by saying you can spend your whole life trying to acquire things that are temporal and incomplete. And that will never satisfy you. Why would you do that? Rather spend your life acquiring things that has eternal value and that will satisfy you. What are you spending your life on? What are you trying to acquire? And he's literally saying, what sense does it make to spend your whole life to work, to sweat, to have energy and spend it all on things that will disappear very soon? Does that make any sense to you? As opposed to spending your life working, giving your energy towards things that will have eternal value and purpose. You choose for yourself which one makes the most sense. He is not saying, don't work for things. Don't acquire things. I love the way C.S. Lewis addresses this when he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our problem is not that we desire the things of the world. It's our problem is that we only desire the things of the world. And that we don't live for that which actually matters. But that we settle for less. That's really what Jesus is saying. You're settling for less. You're going for the obvious. But you're missing the eternal. And you are tying your life to things that cannot sustain you. That will, because by their very nature, they are temporal. Therefore, they will leave you feeling insecure, and they will cause anxiety in you. I read you this quote from uh, Tim Keller last week, and let me read it again. My fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest joys. My fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest joys. If I put my trust and my hope and my joy in something that has a shelf life that over a period of time is going to fade away and disappear, then I am going to at some point be left fearing the loss of that thing. But if I put my hope, he says, in that which is eternal, then my joy and my hope will be secure. Ravi Zacharias tells a story of once where he bought his wife an instrument, a, a sort of a device to use that when she was running out of groceries, she could mark it on this device to uh, just build up a shopping list. And the, how the device worked is you, you, you put it up somewhere and then it had a predetermined list of all the things you would normally buy. So milk, sugar, you know, normal kind of groceries. And if something ran out, you had a little thing that you moved a little like a pin, and you stuck it next to that item, and that meant that that item is, is now needs to be purchased. And so he got her this, and you know, wonderful, thank, make her life easy. And so he hung it on the back of the door of the pantry. And so for a period of time, she would, you know, ch- use that as a bit of an inventory, and every now and then she'd stick a pin by an item, you know, the, the, the sugar is finished, so she'd put the pin by the sugar, and, and so it would build up the list. But one day she came into the pantry and the list was now nicely almost, you know, full and there was a nice list built up and she went into the pantry, but she needed something behind the door. So she slammed the door closed. And when she did that, all the pins fell out. And then she, you know, he came home and he found the the thing in the dustbin. And she was like, this is a useless thing. It, It doesn't work. And it struck him. The problem is not the thing. It's where he hung it. So he took the thing and hung it against the wall where, he, where it will not be knocked around and the pins can't fall off. And so she could use it. You see, we hang our lives on things that are not secure. And then we get surprised when the door gets shut and, the, and it falls off. Instead of hanging our, our lives against that which is eternal and secure, that will never change the rock that we can build on. That's what the Lord Jesus is referring to here. Don't spend your life chasing after that which will only fade away. We all know this. We all know that we have to 
assign the right value to the right things. And we must look for love in the right places. And, and so that we can find that which fits and fulfills our needs. There's a guy by the name of Aaron Shervenak, who in 2016, at the age of 34, got married to his cell phone. Really. Had a ceremony in Las Vegas at one of those chapels. And if you see the photos of it, he, he arrived in this fancy car and, and was all dressed up and went, and there he stood in front of the, you know, the, the person doing, the officer doing this, the ceremony, and on a, on a little like pedestal, on a, on, a, on a pillow, there was the, the iPhone. Nobody will get married to a Samsung, but somebody can get married to it. <laughs> Edit that out. I'm going to get in trouble now. Somebody here. Just, just a joke. But here he goes. So the, the, he put the phone on the, on the pillow there, and, they, and he did the I do's. And married his phone. How many of you know that's ridiculous? Because you cannot put value on something and look for love from something that cannot do it. Now he did it to display, actually, to make a comment about how much value we put on things that we shouldn't really value so much. That's what we do, and that's what Jesus addresses. So he carries on, and he says the following words. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's a little bit of a, you go, where, how, where, where are you going now, Jesus? What, what is this, light and darkness and eyes and everything? Again, I want to quote Ravi Zacharias, who says the following. We are meant to see through the eye with the conscience. When we start seeing with the eye devoid of the conscience, all kinds of belief can invade your imagination. There's a poem written by William Blake. I think they've got it to put on the screen where he says the following. This life's dim windows of the soul, our eyes, distorts the heavens from pole to pole and leads you to believe a lie when you see with not through the eye. You see, the reality of our lives is that we don't see with our eyes. We see with our hearts and our minds, through our eyes. What Jesus is saying is what you set your heart upon is what your eyes will gaze upon. If you fill your heart with a desire for something, that will become the thing that you will see. And by the way, the, the words here that can be in the, in the original translation of the Greek here is, if your eyes are healthy, can be translated to incorporate the idea of if your eyes are generous. And if it says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, you are, your whole body will be full of darkness. That word unhealthy includes the, the concept of if your eyes are stingy. But Jesus is saying, your heart determines the direction of the focus of your life. So that's why he said in, in the previous verse there at the end of verse 21, where you set your heart, there your treasure will be. Because that's what you will look upon the whole time. Think about this illustration. And for those of us that have walked journeys with people and know this reality, that sometimes you will have a person come sit with you a husband or a wife, and they will proceed to tell you, I do not love my wife or my husband any longer. I used to love them, but I don't love them. And generally, almost all the time, if you start digging and going a little bit backwards, you will discern a moment 
where that husband or wife allowed their hearts to make space for somebody else. 1%, 2%. I'm not talking. Generally in those situations, it doesn't go like this. 100% of my heart is my wife's. Now I give 100% to somebody else. The process generally works like this. My focus, my heart is set on my wife. Because my heart is set on her, she is beautiful, she is perfect, perfect. She is fantastic, I love her. Everything she does, you know, she's like the best thing. And then something happens where through some way the enemy's really clever, I'd say, ooh, but there's this other person. And I just take notice of them at work or at the gym or somewhere. And I start saying, okay, I'm just going to give them 2% of my attention. I'm just going to open up a little bit of my heart. And, and I'm not talking about you just being friendly with somebody. You know the difference. The kind of love that you're supposed to only give to your wife. You just start paying attention to that person a little bit more. You know, it's the kind of thing that when you, when, if it's like a lady, for instance, if she dresses in the morning and this is the guy she thinks of that she's dressing for, instead of thinking of her husband, then she should know. My heart has started opening up a little bit. And the moment you do that, this funny thing starts happening. Your eyes starts following your heart. And, and it's amazing to see this in process in people's lives. Because the heart now is starting to be divided. This, this person, husband or wife, will start looking at this other person. And the affection starts growing. And their eyes start seeing all the nice and good things about this new person. And when they look at their wife, they go, hmm, she's not that beautiful after all anymore. You know, she always burns my toast. And suddenly, the heart directs the eyes, and the eyes starts looking for the reasons so that the heart can go this way. And before you know it, you're sitting in front of the pastor or the counselor or somebody, and you say, I don't love my wife. Because you allowed your heart to be set on something else. Your heart is under your direction. The only way is I've got to keep loving my wife 100%. And not make space, not 1%. And, and the Lord often uses our relationships as husbands and wives to describe His feeling and towards us. Where He says, I love you with everything I have. But for this to work, you have to love me with everything you have. Do you know in God, there's no levels of love that he looks for. You either love him 100% or you don't love him at all. You cannot love God 50%, 40%, even 95%, even 99%. Now, I, don't, I know practically in my life, my 100% has grown. Because there's times where the Lord speaks to me and when I say, Lord, I love you with all of my heart like it happened with Peter, the apostle. Lord, I, I love, not, not that's never going to happen. But then the Lord just shows you how much you actually still don't love him. But then the, the covenant kicks in of, Lord, whenever, whatever you show me that is between you and me, I'll deal with it. Because my desire, my intent is to love you with all of my heart. You see, and what happens with us is when we focus our hearts on the Lord Jesus, we begin, our eyes seek Him. We draw to Him. 
And then something amazing happens is not only do we see him, but he starts changing our desires to be for him because your, your desire follows where you put your heart. That's just how it works. So in this world, we, we let our hearts just hang around and whatever we see, we say, oh, that's what I want because we let our eyes determine that our desire follows our eyes. But in the scripture, the, uh, David writes in Psalm 37 verse 4, um, uh, blessed is a man who, oh, no, sorry, now if, help me somebody, Psalm 37 verse 4, set your heart upon the thing, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sorry, it took me a moment, files going. Okay, let me do that again. Can you guys just edit that out? This is really bad. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 37 verse 4. Now I've lost it again. <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That desire, he will give you the desires of your heart, both means he will give you the desires, the things you want, but also he will give you the desires. He will fill your heart with the right desires if you delight in him, if you set your heart upon him. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Let's carry on. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, you cannot, I cannot love two wives at the same time, in the same way, equally. It's just not possible. You will begin to love the one and you will begin to despise the other. And so it is in our relationship with God. And Jesus talks here about material things, and particularly he talks about money. That's not me, he talks about money. He says you cannot love God and money. It's not possible. You will learn to love the one and despise the other. Which one do you choose? You've got to choose one. Now, our problem is we need money. We can't live without money. We need it. So what we'll often do as Christians is we'll say, Lord, I know that I must put you first, and Lord, I put you first in everything in my life, but can money be in my top five at least? <laughs> because I need money, Lord. But Jesus literally is here saying, it's God and only God. There's no place for loving money. He's not talking about using money. He says loving, there's no place for it. You love God. That's the only one you love. And really, if you think about it, it's the only sensible one to love. Because if you start loving money, you're opening yourselves up for a world of hurt and pain. And anxiety and discomfort. He carries on. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, you do not... You, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Is Jesus telling us here that we really shouldn't worry about clothing and food? So therefore... Just be like the birds, you know. Run around. Be free. You don't have to worry about clothes. If you've got clothes, wear it. If you don't, you know, 
Freedom, baby. <laughs> Is he saying you really shouldn't worry about food? Just eat what you find. No, I'm so glad you don't think that's what Jesus means. Otherwise, church would become really uncomfortable <laughs> if any of you translated it that to mean that. No, that's not what he means, obviously. The, the trick to understanding what Jesus here says here is to go back to verse, uh, sorry, to go back to verse 26 where he says the following. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God says this is our problem. We begin to value things that is really not worth the value that we put on it. While God, from his perspective, values us, not the things. When God looks at you, he says, I love you. You are the most valuable for me. So if I'm going to take care of the birds, how much more am I going to take care of you? Because you I value. Clothes and food is something you need and that has some form of value and that helps you, but it does not determine your value. I determine your value, God says. Now this may sound like a small point, but hey, let me remind you how we do this. We go and we spend money that we don't have and we make accounts at stores and we go and buy clothes that we can't afford or cars that we've got to pay off over many years with a residual and a balloon payment. Why? Because when I wear that clothes, I feel valuable. When I drive that car, I feel a little bit more valuable. Now, we're not completely wrong. There's some value in it. The problem is it's very secondary value. This shirt that I wear today, isn't that a nice shirt? Hey, don't you like it? It just fits my father figure very nicely. It's just a <laughs> nice shirt. I can tell you this is an expensive shirt. And I can say that because I was given it as a gift from somebody. I wouldn't buy this shirt, but somebody gave it to me. And when they gave it to me, the value of it increased, not by the random amount, because when they gave it to me, it wasn't the right size, so I had to go and swap it, they gave me, so I know what it costs. But you know what was the value in it? When they gave it to me and they said, I felt the Lord said, I must bless you with this. That was the real value, isn't it? God loves you because you are valuable. Don't diminish your value by using material things, the, the lack of it or the possession of it to define your value. Don't allow that to happen. God values you. Whether I'm wearing this nice shirt or this afternoon when I take it off and get in my pajamas to go have an afternoon nap because I worked hard on a Sunday, I still have the same value. If you bump into me at the week in the, so in the shopping mall and I'm with my shorts and my slops, I still have the same value. Amen? It's nice. I'm, I'm thankful for a nice clothes like this. I'm thankful that, 
that we can have nice things, and I'll say something about that now. But if we do value transactions, isn't it terrible that when we talk about people, we say his worth or her worth is, and then we put a dollar amount. Jeff Bezos' worth is $100 billion. Would you like somebody to put that next to your name? Let me tell you, that $100 billion is no assignment of worth. You know what determines his worth as much as what determines your worth? Is that when you were lost, God said, you are so, you are so valuable to me that I'm going to send my son to die on a cross. That's how valuable you are. That's your value. And if you allow things to mess around with your heart and your value statements, you are putting your life on temporal things. And the moment you do that, anxiety will grow in you. Anxiety will grow in you because of the temporal nature of the things and you will try and hold on and you will try and acquire and you will fight and you will do everything to try and get some form of value, not because you are trying to, because you're trying to feel valuable. But on a deeper level, anxiety will grab hold of you because you will start understanding, you will be, go well, let me put it this way, you will be going against your own nature, which God put in you to look at him for value. And so growing anxiety takes part of us and takes hold of our lives. Jesus wraps this up in verse 32 to 34. For the pagans run after all these things. I love this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. Far better than you do. The question is, can you trust Him? Do you really believe He knows what you need? Can you really put your life in his hands? Then he says, but seek first his kingdom. So put your affection, put your heart, put your desires on God. Make him your treasure. And if you've done this, all these things, the shirts, the nice food, the housing I need, everything will be given to me. Not because my value is determined by it, but because... It's what I need and because my father loves to bless me and sometimes spoil me and say something about that now as I finish. Worship team, you guys can join me. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I encourage you. If I could, I, I wish I could take each of you and hold you so that I could look in your eyes. The people in the back corners there, please. I can't see you, but perhaps if you look at the screen, you can see me. Sorry about that, but look at me. You are valuable. Don't trade your value for financial gain. The enemy in a, a, in a country like ours at the moment with economic conditions like this, it's heyday for the enemy. Because he will f try and pressurize you through the realities of there's not enough money coming in and I need to provide for my children. And he will come and he will put pressure on you and he will, and, and he will force you, want to force you to do dumb things, to take shortcuts, to perhaps just do something a little bit illegal. 
or he will, ex- he will push you to expose yourself to unnecessary risk and unwise decisions. You will take on debt that you really shouldn't, or you'll, you'll try an investment that is really not what you should do, and you wouldn't normally do it, but you do it now because you, 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 you're panicking and you're feeling the pressure. Your Father knows what you need. Trust Him. This is how I think it practically works out in our lives. We give our hearts to the Lord Jesus. We say, Lord, I live for you. You are my everything. I turn away from any other thing, and I come to you and I say, Lord, here's my life. I give it all to you. Everything in my life, every action, every thought, I want it to be about you. I know I'm not going to get it right, but this is my desire. Teach me by your Holy Spirit to, to grow in this. And part of that is, as a disciple, to learn to use the gifts and the abilities and the skills and the energy the Lord has given you to work. Christians should be the hardest workers there is because we have the theology for work. We have work is worship. Our work should bring us joy and pleasure, and we work, and and you make an income. You get the money that you can in just and legitimate ways, and and in honesty, you work, and you, you gain an income so that you can look after the, the, your family. I, I believe this is my practice, and, and when I get my income, 10% of that goes to the Lord via the church. And for me, the, I know people say, that's not the law, and it's not about the law. For me, it's a bit of a law, but not because the Bible says it's a law, because I'm going to make sure that my heart stays in the right place. Because can I tell you, man, my heart can easily, I don't know about yours, but my heart can easily go into funny places with money. So I take that money and I say, Lord, this is the first fruits. The principle of the first fruits in the Bible is the first thing I do is I honor you. And I recognize that the 100% I have is only possible because of you. And so I honor you with my first fruits. Now in this church, nobody checks you up whether you give or not. So it's not, we, but I, therefore I can proudly say it. This goes up to you. But that's what I do. Then I take the rest of my income. And I provide for my family. And I be a generous person. Because I can be generous because God is generous. He's been generous to me. And if my heart is set on him, thankful for the things that he's given me so that I can display his generosity to other people. And the first place I think where we as Christians should display our generosity is for the people that work for us. If you employ anybody, you should be generous with them. Christians should be the best bosses there are in the world. Every person should want to work for a Christian because Christians are generous because of who God is. Don't, if you've got somebody working in your house, don't Look at what the minimum wage is. And last week, I think the minimum wage went up and you go, oh, now I have to pay more. No. You pay that person as much as you can, which is right. And you're generous with them. You don't work them to death, you know, every evening they have to work, Saturdays they have to work, Sundays they have to work. No. You be generous with time. You, you be generous. You be a person. If you've got a company and people are working for you, you find ways to look after them. And I know we live in tough economic times, and re- but that should be the hearts that we have. We're generous. And then we're faithful with our finances. We spoke about it last year in June. We are stewards 
Everything belongs to Him. He trusts it to us to steward. Good stewards give. Good stewards save. Good stewards manage well and plan their finances. And when we do that as a practical lifestyle, we are journeying with a Father that says, everything I have belongs to you. And the only way you can respond to that Father is by saying, and everything I have belongs to you. Then you enter into a beautiful covenantal relationship. And I'll finish with this. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 to 19 says the following. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In one verse he puts this, Paul writes to Timothy. The same sentiment as Jesus. He says to him, if you are a wealthy person, teach the wealthy people in your church to be generous. To not put their hope in wealth. And for those of us that are, that, that are wealthy, and I'm talking about us because according to world standards, many of us are actually quite wealthy. We should learn to use resources well and not continue to destroy our planet. We should be faithful. We should be compassionate. I think it's good for us to set a lifestyle and to say, Lord, what is the lifestyle you want me to have? And then when you reach that, that's where you set your lifestyle. You don't just continue acquiring and accumulating things because the earth is finite. There's not, you can't just keep on getting more on the one hand. And I want to be compassionate. I want, I, it, I want to feel that I'm not just me and my family. We're well taken care of, and I don't care about people that don't have food. I, I need to grow and allow the Lord to help me with that. But on the other hand, also to understand this which he says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God loves to give you things to enjoy. Not everything God does is because you need it, something Need the thing. Sometimes you need to know he loves you, and therefore he uses even things, <coughs> sorry, even things to say, I love you. Now, when I don't have the things, it doesn't change the fact that God loves me, but I'm just saying God has that generosity. Be anxious for nothing because your Father knows what you need. Give your life for him. Make Him your focus and your direction. Make everything in your life about Him. And He will provide everything you need. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Aren't you glad that you have such a generous Father? Won't you stand with me? I'm going to pray a general prayer first and just to pray this. I think there's many people here, many of us, we feel the pressure. Living costs are going up. Our incomes aren't keeping up. But if you make that where your heart is set upon, you will growingly become anxious and fearful. Or we can move our hearts and say, I see that, it's real. But more than that, I see a faithful God. I see a loving Father. Can I ask you practically now, if your eyes are closed, to think of the thing that troubles you in your finances, if there's such a thing. You may have enough money, and that may be the thing that troubles you. You're so scared you're going to lose some of it. You're so scared somebody's going to take from you. 
Can you just look at that thing and, and then see yourself, lift your eyes and look at your Father? And then can you say, Lord, I put my heart on you. I put my trust in you. Thank you for what you give to me. Thank you for what you don't give to me. Sometimes his provision is what he does not give. And say, Lord, thank you that I can be secure. That when I have, I can enjoy what I have. And serve you with what I have. But when I have not, I still have you and that's more than enough. And I can trust you. I can trust you. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anybody in our midst here today that may really be at the place where they have no food. And Lord, as a church, we have ways and means where we try and help people, but we can only do a little bit. Ultimately, we trust you for a breakthrough in those situations. Help us, Lord, to understand your ways and your principles. I pray for people that are desperate today. I pray for people in this space where, where there's a payment due and they don't have the money and they're feeling the pressure and the anxiety because they, can't, they don't know how to come out of this. I pray for them today. I pray for your love, for the reality of your grace and your goodness. I pray for people that are consumed at the moment with anxiety because they have or because they don't have. Come, Holy Spirit, draw our hearts to you, we pray. Help us to have the strength today to choose you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. And then I pray for people that just, just need a miracle. That just need a miracle. Thank you that every prayer we pray, you hear. You are for us, not against us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You are our provider. Thank you, Jesus. But I thank you, Lord, that not one person that hears this message, watches this message, has to wonder about their value because you love them and you value them. Let these fears in our lives not go to that deeper place. Let it not go make its way into our foundations. But let us deal with the problems and the realities on the strong foundation that I am a child of God and that He is my Father and He loves me and He is generous. And if I stay in His ways and fulfill His ways, He will make a way for me. Come Holy Spirit. I just break in this moment. I just sense there's a power of the Spirit, and we just break fear off of people right now in Jesus' name. Right now, I take authority over any fear that has grabbed hold of people in this place in Jesus' name. Perfect love drives away all fear. Right now, let fear just fall from people. Let fear just fall from your heart. I'm going to ask the team to lead us in a song. And I want you to use this song as I end the service to, to break fear, to say, this is my confession. This is what I believe.
I will not succumb to fear. I will not let my eyes be drawn to the things of the world. I will not let the enemy set the values. I will let God set my value and the things, other things. I will not let fear take hold of my life. Can we do that? I'm going to close the service, so you're going to sing with us if you can. If you have a moment just to do this. If you want prayer this morning, please come to the front. If you've never met this amazing Lord Jesus that we talk about, come and speak to somebody. Just tell them, I I want to give my heart to Jesus and they'll help you. If you need prayer for anything, come. Our team will be ready. They want to pray with you. Remember for the guys that can want to go for the special cup of coffee to do that. There's registration for baptism outside. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May His presence be with you in every moment. But let's lift up His name and just break any fear that may have taken hold of our lives in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Luke.